But that experience has shaped my attitude to how I work with young people, how I work with myself. Um, it, it taught me lessons, you know, it taught me stuff. So um, that's really been a key factor that my early um, failures and my early um, desires that weren't met <clears throat> or needs that weren't met um, as, a, as a creative musician. So, Yeah, very interesting, actually. What Liz alludes to there is that we all have challenges in our lives, pretty much from a very young age onwards. Liz also had those challenges when she was younger, but she confirms what happens to all of us as we grow up. Those challenges shape who we are. And definitely when you listen to Liz's interview, you'll hear all of the challenges along the way. But now, where is she? What has she managed to achieve despite all of those challenges? In the moment, of course, they were horrible challenges, not very enjoyable, very demotivating and very sad. But actually, they were gifts, hidden gifts to allow her to grow into the person and what she's achieving today. Really interesting interview. Enjoy. Staying Alive UK. Share your story. Welcome to the Share Your Story podcast, Liz. How are you today? I'm really well, thank you, Michael. Yeah, really excited to be here. Thanks. I'm really excited to interview you. Uh, we met some weeks ago in Birmingham at a public speaking course <laughs> and we connected. We had, you know, face to face chat in Worcester and now you're on my podcast, which is just brilliant. <laughs> it's fabulous. Fabulous. I'm so glad you invited me on. Thank you for that. Well, you're also um, a really unusual guest um, and therefore I'm really looking forward to hearing your story. So the first question that I ask everybody, which is, can you tell us a little bit about your personal life to begin with? So where were you born? A bit about your education, where you now live? Have you moved around? And and then we can take it from there. So over to you, Liz. Okay, well, I was thinking about this. I knew this would be your first question. And um, I've been thinking about my life um, over the decades and how it's kind of panned out. I started out pretty much as like a kind of um, a butterfly's egg. <laughs> <laughs> I was just sitting there letting life happen to me. Right. Um, I was born down in on the south coast uh, near Portsmouth in Havant. Nice. In a beautiful place, a beautiful house, beautiful garden. And it was an interesting uh, growing up because I was in a family of, I was the youngest of three daughters. Right. And, um, but by quite a long way. So my older sister was six years and older, eight years older than me. So I was quite small, mm. <laughs> always been very small. 
and I was the baby. And I was actually an accident as well, which is, you know, my mum delighted in telling me, telling me I was an accident. Oh, great, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which kind of works as a slightly double-edged sword, but anyway. Yes. Um, and I grew up in this very beautiful place where there was a lot of nature around me. Mm. And I used to delight in creeping about at dusk as a young girl, listening to the birds and smelling the grass and discovering beetles and just exploring the world on my own. And I, I actually have most of my memories as a child of me on my own in this wonderful house and garden. Yes. Uh, so either kind of doing something, creating, making something. I used to love to paint pebbles and um, make little things and and kind of keep treasures and uh, find treasures that kind of all natural things or, yes. or, or book related. So those are my two kind of um, places that I would inhabit as a child. Mm. Um, and I had um, also when I was growing up, I, I was kind of very full of joy. I just remember one of my earliest memories of just like spinning my arms around and this beautiful blue sky above me and kind of seeing when you do that, you, you kind of see the sky as a, as a, a kind of arc over your head. It take, took on a kind of rounded, it felt like I was seeing the top of the sky. Mm, and I just remember thinking to myself, I'm king of the world. It's, you know, this, uh, it's all here for me and it's, it's all mine. Mm. So I grew up with that kind of attitude. Uh, that's <laughs> which brilliant. Had, which I have to say was fairly quickly beaten out of me. I know. Oh, <laughs> and I had God. this um, very interesting first piano lesson when I was four years old. I was only just four and a half. And a very, very bouncy creature with her older sisters who taught them, you know, she, they taught me their all their tricks. So I bounced into this lesson saying, I can already play the piano and sat down and play chopsticks at the highest possible speed to, to really impress my piano teacher, who I already admired because my sisters have both been taught by this wonderful lady. Right. And she was a wonderful teacher. But the first thing that she said to me really actually hit home rather deeply, and I only realised this quite recently. She said, that's not what we do in piano lessons. Mm. And then... So what I learned in my first lesson was how to play with one thumb a note that lasts four beats and what it looks like on the paper. And that was the kind of value system shift yes. that I encountered. So my yeah. value system, which was energy, enthusiasm, um, ability to do, do it, I can do it already, yes. speed and just general confidence. Mm. And that was kind of actually snuffed out it was like a, a candle being snuffed out mm. and I thought oh my rules are the wrong rules mm. she didn't value any of that stuff she actually looked quite stern and pretty upset when I did that so I must never ever do that again oh wow and what I must do is to listen to because I'm I, I'm very good you know I, I like to be good I grew yeah. up thinking that that was really the the greatest thing you could be is, is really good. Yes. I've discovered later that it's actually quite fun to be naughty, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, my initial uh, perception was that, it, you know, that's that's my, I wanted to be good. So I wanted to please her. 
and that's so I learned that rule that you you look at what's on the paper, you decode, you follow the instructions, and you you do it as the book says. Yes, and so that's been an interesting start because I've now discovered you know as I've grown older, um, I've actually kind of been coming back more and more into that four year old pre piano lesson self mm. to capture that energy and that enthusiasm and that confidence Brilliant. and that um that love of life and the the kind of my own rules were, were actually really good rules but you were so four years to... old when she said that to you yeah it was four wow yeah. that's um... not what we do it's in, I mean, it's amazing that you've remembered. I can't remember what happened to me at four years old. Um, well, I was, I mean, it, it, it hit it hit a chord with me because, mm. you know, I was very, it was a big build up to this first yes. piano lesson because um, my, both my, well, my middle sister particularly is, is very musical. And then, so I, I learned a lot from her. Yes. She was, she would have been 10 at that time. And so she would have been quite good and, and showing me all the stuff that she could do. And I was kind of picking up bits and pieces off her. And um, we used to love playing together and still and still do. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So so there's been a bit, big build up to this pianist. And it's just one of those memories that I just have. So, yeah. It's incredible, isn't it? That the, the adult population and I'm not including you and me in this, <laughs> mm. have this perception of how children must um, behave. Mm. And and this happens in schools, of course, as well, yeah. where, you know, when when children grow up and they're totally free and they, they've got this energy and freedom mm. to just do what they think is, is okay, and then being told it's not okay, that's such yeah. a slap in the face, isn't it? It and really is. I think it's so sad at four years old that however clever a music teacher she was or is, mm. I'm mm. sure I'm sure that's absolutely true. Uh, I've no doubt whatsoever about that. But that she had in her mind how children of that age should be behaving already. Now, mm. on, on the contrary, there might be... A need for discipline, but I mean, I'm sure you'll tell me whether that's true or not as well. <laughs> okay, continue, continue. Okay, so uh, yeah, so I was thinking about you know me as a child. So I had this kind of bit of a, a interesting starting school, where the key things that came out for me at primary school was just um, starting to have a real sense of injustice in the world <laughs> mm. um, and observing that and me not wanting to be a part of that. So I was the kid who would pick out the person who didn't have a friend and go and play with them, even though I, you know, it wasn't great, <laughs> mm. <laughs> but you know, that was, I, um, they were on my radar. So right. I wasn't, I didn't, you know, I had friends, but I was never one of, you know, it was, I was always kind of, standing up for the, the person who had no other friends and yes. would kind of go and play with them for a bit. Mm. Usually they had been begging me for quite a while <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to play with them, but I would eventually say yes. Um, uh, uh, and I remember one girl who was put to Coventry. This is a, I went to a girls' school, which is 
horrible. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I was starved of male company all my yeah. life. Yeah. Uh, um, so, yeah, the quite nasty girls can be quite nasty when they get in groups together. Right, yes. And um, they, there was a new girl who come into our our class and she was a bit like me in the piano lesson she she was she was bright she was bouncy she said I can do this I've done this I've these are all the things I can do and everyone thought well she's a bit too big for her boots let's put her in her place and they put her to Coventry and they didn't really tell you know obviously that means she's in a silent world and she doesn't understand why nobody will engage with her and there was a, a moment in the class where where she said oh I've I've, my pen's run out. I need to borrow a pen or pencil, something like that. Yes. And so the whole class went into silence. And the teacher was saying, well, surely somebody's got a pencil you can lend to, to this girl. Mm. Um, and the, the silence went on for quite a long time. And then I thought, I can't stand this. So I gave her my pen, whatever it was. Yes. And then afterwards, they were all kind of going, what you, you know, why did you help her? What are you do?" And I was like, Come on, guys! Yeah, <laughs> it's ridiculous. You can't what, just can't live your life like that. What age were you then? Then I was about about eleven. Right. Then. So yeah, but um, that that's been a kind of pattern, I have to say, of just uh, seeing where you know the society is not working well. It's doing something really toxic, and I, I can't cope with that. I At just find it really 11. upsetting. Yeah. At the age of 11, that's well, pretty I mean, early, isn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't really catch it in those terms at the time. No. But I just in that situation, I could just see how much she was suffering. You had a feeling. Yeah, I was yeah. empathetic. Yeah. And I, I really, I mean, I was also one of those kids that, you know, there was a kind of announcement, somebody has stolen something like um and the, the the culprit needs to make themselves known. And I'd be always the one who goes bright red, although it was nothing to do with me. But I was right. so empathetic with the yes. person who, who was feeling the guilt that mm. I was feeling the guilt even though I hadn't done it. Oh, yes. <laughs> Which is kind of tricky because I think, oh, no, they're going to think it's me because I've gone red. <laughs> but, you know, um, it's, it's funny how it. these things yeah. go. I do get it. Yeah, I understand. Mm. And then, uh, yeah, school was interesting. I had a lot of disillusionment in my schooling. So uh, so at primary school, I was kicked out of the school choir because I, I didn't sing good enough. Right. So that was a bit of a blow. And I remember my mother saying to me once, well, one thing we know, Liz, you'll never be a singer. Oh, what? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Thanks for that. Thanks for that, Mum. <laughs> Bless. Anyway, um, yeah, and I was made to play an instrument I didn't want to play. So I, I learned piano and I wanted to play the violin as well. And I really, really wanted to play it. And they said, well, no, actually, you can't play the violin. You've got to play cello. And um, so I do. I play the cello now and I love the cello now. Mm. Um, and everyone who I talk to about it, they go, oh, I love the cello. I love the cello. Mm. But actually, I love the violin more when I was, I, I love the cello too. But um, yeah, uh, and I actually wanted to play the chime bars. That's what I really wanted to do as well. I wanted to, you know, when we had music at school, 
uh, I'm a composer now, which we haven't mentioned actually. But anyway, um, we'll get there. Music is <laughs> music is my life. Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I had to play the cello because I could, mm. but actually, I just wanted to get have a go on the glockenspiel or the triangle, or the chime bars, because I loved the sounds of those instruments as well. But I was never right. allowed to. Um, and yeah, so there was, a, and, and I had success. So I got a scholarship for, you know, piano lessons. I got, you know, a county scholarship. Um, but then when I applied for the county orchestra on my cello, I, I never got in. I applied every year, had these, in, you know, auditions and I never got into the orchestra and everybody would say, oh, it's so wonderful to be in the county orchestra and you meet so many lovely friends and everything. And I never got in. So oh. I, I had this real <clears throat> desire to be doing it, but partly because of my the teaching I received on the cello was not very good quality at first. And so I really couldn't play very well at that point. I can play great now, but um, yes. then it was, uh, I just, just didn't have the technique. So it wasn't really my fault, um, but that's just what happened. Yes. And so I remember just being really upset and, mm. um, yeah, it was, it was tough actually. It was really tough being rejected. Yes. And not not having the having no agency at all to kind yeah. of say, but hang on, I'm a good kid, you know, I would be good in the orchestra. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. Um, well, there's. And how old were you then when that all happened? Well, I would have started applying when I was about twelve. Okay. So like twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Apply every year and get. Wow. I think I might have stopped by the time I was sixteen because I was just so disillusioned. I decided I didn't. I didn't want to do it by then. And no. I was. Oh, yeah. I'm. You know. When I hit. Uh, when I hit fifteen, things kind of changed for me quite dramatically. Anyway. Yeah. I'm um, kind of just. Um, my attitude to life changed. I, I became quite depressed at that time. I mean, oh, wow, yes. Well, we'll come back to that. I was going to say it's such a shame because, of course, once you, if you had, if they had allowed you to join the orchestra, you would have become better automatically. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Well, because, just confidence is, yeah. is a great uh, improver of skill. Yes. <laughs> being told, you know, being given that valid, valid, uh, what's the word? Validation, isn't yes. it? Because yeah. I remember when I started playing the drums, kit drumming, when I was mm. um, 17, um, I wasn't that good, right? I didn't think I was good enough, although I'd had some lessons, not by a mm. very professional. I wasn't reading drumming music either. Um, I was just all by feel and ear and... Yeah, and, that's but, the best way. <laughs> I know. But then then I joined, there were some lads at, at work who one played the guitar, one played the bass, one sang badly, and it was like a bit of a punk group. But we went into a studio to play these songs they'd written, and I became much better Yes, being in the group. Yeah. And when I listened to a very bad recording of what we played, I went, oh, my God, that's me drumming in the background. And it's like, mm. 
I can't believe I even managed that at the age of 17, you know. Fantastic. So it I I do it's a real shame because you're you're that they didn't allow it because you would have just improved exponentially each year by being in a group. Mm. Yeah. But that experience has shaped my attitude to how I work with young people, yes. how I work with myself. Um, it's, it taught me lessons, you know, it taught me stuff. So um, that's really been a key factor that my early um, failures and my early um, desires that weren't met <clears throat> or needs that weren't met um, mm. as, a, as a creative musician. So, so now I'm a composer and... As a kid, I was never encouraged. I was never asked to compose anything. I was never asked to improvise. I was never asked to play off the music. I was never even asked to memorize anything. Right. Everything was on the paper, the paper, the notation, you know, the notation on the music, yes. the written music. And so I became obsessed with that and I felt that I couldn't actually function without it. Right. Which is a real um, curse, you know. You so people would say, "Oh, you play the piano. Will you play something for us?" And I go, "Well, no, I haven't got my music. I don't. I, I can't play anything. Right. And, and I couldn't. I couldn't actually play anything without the music. If I had the music there, great. I could play you pretty much uh, anything like that. Yes. But if I didn't have it, I was completely. It was like being asked to drive a car and you haven't got a car. So yes. well, I, I just can't. <laughs> I mean, I can't, I don't even know the first bar. Oh. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so again, being really limited by the way I've been taught. You know, so my teacher didn't, um, she gave me, my teachers gave me all sorts of skills, yes. which are really high level skills, mm. but they, it was very narrow in, in, in its um, focus, very narrow in its focus. And so, um, you know, that was a real problem, <laughs> mm. a real problem. Um, anyway, so I decided uh, I had such a rubbish time at secondary school where um, I went to a good school. It was great. I did fine. Um, but I just basically did the bare minimum to get through because I, I realized that it didn't pay to work hard. Um, I didn't need to. And so I didn't bother. And nobody actually noticed that no. I wasn't. Uh, that I wasn't achieving, so I, I felt really invisible. Yes. So I thought, well, I'm just going to keep my head down and whatever. Yeah. And I, I had a, I decided then that I wanted to go into teaching because I thought, come on, guys, I know I could do better than this. <laughs> and that was my main passion. I know I can do better than everybody that has taught me. Yeah. Apart from my, I had one amazing teacher, but um, who who kind of saw who I really was. But then she retired, so I, I only had her for about eighteen months, which mm. is a shame. But mm. anyway, so then I went into teaching, and that was a really interesting time for me. So I was twenty-one. So this is the end of my egg stage. So I've still been this little butterfly egg. Yes. Waiting you know, just for the environment to be right. So, okay, I emerged, 21. I'm a caterpillar. Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> I start kind of moving around and munching and absorbing the world and actually engaging with the world in a different kind of way. It's also the same time I met my husband-to-be and we've 
been together since then, which is quite a long time ago now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we celebrated our 31st wedding. Out of, is that this year or next year? Anyway, yeah. No, we've been together for a long time. So, um, yeah, and I met him when I was 21. And he he has been a key component in the kind of the realisation of Liz. Oh, wow. <laughs> he Good kind of man. saw that, that, yeah, he's great. He kind of saw the potential, <laughs> which I can't, God only knows how. But anyway, <laughs> it was good. And yes. um, I started to really uh, realise that I had a voice and I could complain about stuff and I could celebrate stuff and I could change stuff. And so I went to my first teaching. So as a tra- trainee teacher, you get put into a school for just like a few weeks and then whisked out again. So, you know, the damage, whatever the damage is, you get put in pretty kind of raw, you know, you haven't had much uh, experience. And the first guy I worked with, he was my head of department, had a very dictatorial um, attitude. And he actually said to me, do you know what, Liz, you're really not cut out to be a teacher. I think you should, this is not the right career for you. Mm. You do not have any of the skills that you need to do this work. Nice. And I looked at him and I thought, you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And I, so I went and complained about him and and his school got taken off or his department got taken off as a training uh, department because I explained what he, exactly what he was doing. He was basically bullying the children uh under his care yeah and of course i came in as a very short 21 year old <laughs> and put him in <laughs> his place not much clue much not much clue of how to actually get kids working effectively mm. <laughs> at that point um because so you got even you start you just start with with nothing really or mm. i did anyway mm. i remember just having absolutely no ideas in my head at all you know just there was nothing there and I was just really running on empty. But as I gradually um, went to another department in Pimlico School, which is absolutely fabulous place, terrifying and wonderful in equal measure, and learnt a whole load of stuff there. And then went, but then met this kid. And I remember, actually, it was only yesterday I told you this story, but I'm going to tell you again. Yes. I met this uh, student who was probably 11. Mm-hmm. and um, he was in a class of 30 or so kids, and we were doing something based around a worksheet. So the activity involved them reading the worksheet and then doing some activities with the musical instruments. And I, came, I spotted that he wasn't really doing anything, so I just came over to him and said, you know, what, what's the matter? And I said, you know, what, what, you know, what do you need to do? Just, just look at the worksheet. And, you know, just read me the first question. And he just was trying to read the first word and he was just kind of trying to make sounds. Yes. And it was obvious that he couldn't read mm. or, was, you know, there was something that was stopping him reading. Yes. Whether he could read or not, I don't know. But I had a busy classroom with 30 other kids. And so basically I said to him, OK, you you can't you're not coping with this are you and he's he kind of showed me that he wasn't coping so i said look okay here's a keyboard here's a set of headphones you go into the corner entertain yourself be a good boy and i'll you know i'm really sorry but you know that's that's the best i can offer you and this 
and I carried on with the lesson and then he left and I don't even know what his name was or who he was. Um, so that experience absolutely rocked me to the core because I thought, I want to work with that boy. I want to, I want to show him how to read. I want to help him. I don't want to be dismissing him and putting him in the corner with some kind of holding activity and then actually just he leaves the room and nothing's happened. Yes. That's not right. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so, so I didn't, so I, I got my teaching qualification and then thought I can't cope with teaching. It's not, it's not right for me. I'm going to do something else. Um, so I went, in, I actually worked in a pub for a couple of years as a barmaid. It was very interesting work. Um, what people watching and yes. seeing, learning how people are. Mm. And um, then I went into temping, office temping, where everybody hated me. Every oh. office I went to, everybody hated me. Oh, no. <laughs> because I was just so different. I just had nothing I could relate with because I'm not really into stuff mm. that other people are into at mm. all. Mm. Um, I couldn't, they couldn't relate to me. I couldn't relate to them. And then eventually I got a new uh, teaching job, but I decided to go into primary, not secondary education. So I trained to do primary, uh, to do, I trained to do secondary. Yes. Uh, and then thought, I actually want to teach people how to read and write and how to make them feel better about themselves. Right. As, as learners, I want to teach people how to learn. Because I really felt I'd never been taught how to learn. Um, I was really not helped um how to learn mm. which is a key skill if you want to get ahead <laughs> mm. um so that's what i did and i found a beautiful school and i kind of cut my teeth on a really lovely class of five-year-olds and we had a complete ball we had such fun and they they tolerated my <laughs> inadequacies <laughs> as a teacher at that time because i just really had no idea <laughs> what I was doing and we just kind of we muddled through and we had a great time and then uh I was settled into that job and then my husband got a new job in Birmingham ah and uh we were in London we had a great life we had great social life we were in two or three choirs we were singing I was singing all the time I sing a lot yes. <laughs> by the way I sing a lot and um I uh, I loved all the people. They were really close friends. And then at the same time, my mother was really ill and she died just after we moved to Birmingham. So I arrived in Birmingham. I had no job. My mother had just died. Mm. I'd lost all my um, social contacts. I had no music um, activity and I was kind of grieving my mother. And I had this really dark time where... I had nothing, mm. absolutely nothing, and was applying for jobs um, and eventually got myself a new job in a horrible school. Oh. <laughs> in a horrible school with a horrible head teacher who oh. said, um, I, he had a meet, he pulled me in for a meeting and he said, uh, he said a whole load of stuff. And I said to him, it sounds to me you have no trust in me as a teacher at all. Mm. And he said, yes, that's right. <laughs> oh my god so i said oh wow that's okay fine okay at least we know where we stand so well, I you got read it right anyway <laughs> yeah 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 i did so i got out of that job and he refused to give me a reference and i said to the new head oh gosh my my head teacher won't give me a reference 
he said, oh, don't, don't worry about it, Liz. Just just come. It'll be fine. Um, yeah. And so I went, then found this amazing school where I was there for 10 years and we had the most fabulous time. And I just realised all sorts of uh, fabulous things with the kids and put on shows and we did lots of drama and lots of music and lots of creativity and then I kind of got to my mid-30s so I'm still a caterpillar at this point I hope you're keeping track of this I uh, am Michael. I just to ask a quick question <laughs> yeah go on give you a chance to have a little drink um, oh yeah is the the new school with the great head teacher and where you were with, with all the kids was that primary as well then yes yes, yes. It was primary okay so primary is is much better suited to me i, yes. I discovered because it's very very uh unpredictable um so mm. secondary teaching is a bit more kind of uh, regimented so you you know you have um a, a stricter kind of syllabus and you're teaching music all the time yes in primary i was teaching everything and we 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 had music was always part of our day but but it was not um you know, I was teaching everything and I right. love that. I'm a real, uh, I'd like to say polymath, <laughs> but I, I, I think of myself like a, a pebble bouncing across the sea of knowledge. I, I never go too deep. Yeah, I, <laughs> into I any totally concur thing. with that. Yeah, I can mm. relate to that totally. Yeah. Because I have an appetite for learning, but I can't say, you know, with hand on my heart that I'm, I'm like really ex my expertise is there on everything oh, deep no. on something really no. really deep. Um, yeah. So because I like the variety of it, I like the variety. Yeah. 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 So I know I know a lot of little things about yes. a lot. Yes. Um, little kind of facts or little bits of information. Yes. Um, but. Uh, yeah, ask me a second or third question and I'm floundering pretty quickly. Got it. Understood. <laughs> and changing yeah. the subject. Mm. But you <laughs> know, I've just, yeah. what's so Go nice on. to hear, though, is that when you were that four-year-old, primary school age, I guess, mm. um, yeah. when you were put down with your music piano teacher, mm. um, you now ended up being able to to do it right for yes. those young people, those primary school age people, uh, kids. Um, and therefore you were able to, right, I'm going to do it. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to do right by these youngsters. Absolutely. Um, and so yeah. what a wonderful turnaround is what I mean that happened mm. there. So mm. awesome. Well done. Well done. Mm -hmm. I love it. Love it. <laughs> and it continues on because mm. um, I then I got into my mid thirties. And one of the things I'd kind of grown up thinking, because you grow up with a kind of perception of what your life will look like when you're yes. an adult. Yes. So I had this perception that I would have a family and I'd have loads of kids and I'd be a mum. And that was really my aspiration. I wanted to be a teacher mm -hmm. and I wanted to be a mum. Mm. And, and so I did the teaching thing. But I, I didn't get the mum part because mm. my husband already had a family. So I've got wonderful stepchildren who yes. are um, 
uh, when I first met them, they were like 12 and 14 years old. And um, I have a great relationship with them. So they're, they're like my kids. But, but obviously, I wanted, I did want to have my own child. Yes. And that just wasn't, uh, it just didn't turn out to be possible. No. So I kind of um, realised that in my mid 30s. And having done 10 years of teaching, and, and after about 10 years, you've kind of, I'd, I felt that I'd done all kind of stuff that I'd set out to do. Yes. And I started to go a little bit stir crazy. And I, I was feeling very, un, very like I was facilitating everybody else. Everybody mm. else was having a great experience, but I wasn't. You know, no. I had other things I wanted to do with my life. And I, I kind of could see the decades rolling out and me just doing the same thing yes. year on, year on, year on, year. Mm. <clears throat> And so I decided, I, I talked to the school and took a, decided to take a year out right. of paid, unpaid leave, just take mm-hmm. a year out mm-hmm. and have a kind of gap year, which I'd never had. And I thought, I, I, I thought to myself, well, I know, I, I'll do organic gardening because <clears throat> I love being outside and, and I like gardening and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I talked to my husband and he went, what? This? <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> I went, what? What's the matter? And he said, well, the garden, you know, well, yeah, okay. But, but Liz, you're a composer. I went, really? Am I? I went, yeah. yes, you are. That's what you do. I said, do I? And he went, yes, the garden's full of weeds because you, you just never go in it. And um, what you do is, you know, you, you, you sleep for a couple of days in the in school holidays and then you start composing for the choir that we were in, or we had little vocal groups I used to write for. I went, do I? I suppose, yeah, I suppose I do. I said, well, do you think it's, do you think, and he said, yeah, what you should do is is go and do a master's at the conservatoire. And actually that's where he was working at that time, at the Birmingham Conservatoire. Right. Which is now the Royal Birmingham Conservatoire. Yeah. And it's a wonderful place. And I said, well, no, my stuff's not good enough. You know, he said, don't be ridiculous, just apply and um, so I did, and I got a place, and I found myself doing a master's in composition, kind of rather uh, shaking my head in in disbelief and thinking, "Gosh, okay." And I'd never, I'd only written for voices because uh, that's what uh, we we were, you know, that's where we were. Mm. And so I'd never, I'd never written for in, I never composed for instruments. Mm. Um, and so I just started doing that, and suddenly things took off in a massive way and I just, you know, put things in for competitions and won them all <laughs> and wow. got got professional performances like immediately people were picking up on my work and immediately I uh, I got kind of recognition for my work as a composer. So the first piece that I wrote uh, is called Images of Trees um, and, yeah, that's been a really successful piece and, uh, it's led to all sorts of other experiences. So it's led to me now. I've got a double CD out with all my chamber music, where that's the, um, how I met the Fitzwilliam String Quartet, who I have this amazing relationship with, um, ongoing relationship with, of creating new music. Um, and, and so, um, really interesting. This is incredible. What made you choose? that particular course well uh it was an excellent course 
it was actually the only thing available because I lived in Birmingham. Yeah. Um, it was also my husband worked there, so I knew all the I knew the people there quite mm. well as yes. friends. Right. Um, my husband's colleagues, so I knew the head of department. I okay. knew all the staff there, <laughs> and um, I got also got given a fantastic teacher, mm. um, Philip Cashin, who is now he actually runs the composition department at the Royal Academy now right and we, he was just in Birmingham for about <laughs> I don't know how long he was there but I just caught him and he's a really great teacher um and he gave me a lot of confidence uh in my work and he really supported me so um and he actually said to me okay Liz you've ha- had this year out don't go back to the day job and I said, but I love teaching. I love my job. And that was always my plan. I always wanted to go back. Mm. He said, no, no, don't go back. Don't go back. Do a PhD. And I said, what? <laughs> Are you joking? I don't want a PhD. What a stupid idea. <laughs> people like me don't do PhDs. That's ridiculous. Anyway, <laughs> I did. A, so I did a PhD. Oh, wow. Uh, and it, it was a part time, so it took six years, and it was a fantastic experience. Six so I had years, my six God. years to really go deep. That and, is some commitment. Well, it was, but it was because it was six. Because I knew I had six years. Yeah, you know that was the plan. It was that was always the plan. Um, it meant it actually took the pressure off me, and it allowed allowed me time to develop my voice and to explore and to um, build build a, a whole body of repertoire. Yes. And also to be able to use the resources of the university, yes. which was fantastic. So being a student is just the greatest. People do stuff for you when you're a student. You know, if you mm. ask them, can I, you know, I'm a student, can I come, come and, um, you know, sit on rehearsals or mm. or can I can I come come and shadow mm. you know you you doing stuff or can I just kind of come and help help out in some way they always say yes mm. um, because you have that kind of um, validation of your university and your department yeah um, <clears throat> so it's a fantastic and one of the things I did I actually contacted the local um, contemporary music group Birmingham contemporary music group I call them local but they're actually internationally uh award-winning group um and I just phoned them up and said oh hey you're doing really amazing stuff with young people and I've got a teaching background and I'm doing um uh I'm a student can I just come and sit in on one of your projects please because I'm really interested to help out and just see what you do and learn learn a bit more about how that works because I'd only worked in schools before Yes. So they said, oh, great, yeah, come along. And at the end of that project, um, uh, Nancy Evans, who uh, runs that uh, learning and participation programme, she said, oh, God, Liz, you were great. Uh, I want to give you some money because <laughs> you did a whole load of stuff on that project. Mm-hmm. I went, oh, OK, fun. oh, gosh, thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. And uh, and then then actually that started a, a new relationship where we set up the most amazing program of workshops for kids. So primary age kids where we we devised it b- together and it's called Music Maze and it's still running. And um, <clears throat> it's just the most fabulous, like a day long workshop about every month 
at the weekend where kids just turn up and it doesn't matter whether they've got grade eight or they've never picked up an instrument before in their lives. We, we run these amazing workshops where they compose, they create, they, they learn how to play stuff and they, they work with alongside professional musicians. And we, every time something incredible is, is, created just mm. on the day mm. it's just magic 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 wow. so that that all came out of of that kind of just me as a, a humble student just yes. kind of making a call um so yeah that's that's a good a good strategy um to do mm. but to move the story on um what happened next well i so i've got my phd i became a uh, a um a kind of freelance composer mm-hmm. but I was doing a lot of lecturing and uh, workshopping and uh I set up a new organization for severely dis- uh, physically disabled adults right. with some special uh technology called Soundbeam, which is a means that you don't have you can play without having to touch something so it's quite clever but I won't go into the details of that now but people can check out what Soundbeam is by looking online um and I set up this amazing project got massive arts council grant to lead it and became a director of this project where we were working with fabulous um individuals in 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 Birmingham region but um my my organizational skills weren't um as uh, i had never directed an organization before so i actually wasn't very good at that i was very good at training i was very good at working with all the people on the project i was very good at putting on shows and i was very good at all sorts of it but i was absolutely rubbish at managing and actually dealing with the budget and actually um selecting the right kind of administrative support and getting the right infrastructure in place and what happened is we had a great project but actually I became really ill and I actually really uh really really ill (laughs) so to the point that um interesting I was working with a lot of people who were wheelchair bound yeah I actually lost basically lost the use of my legs yeah my legs became rigid with uh tension so i was holding the whole of this project um i was taking on all the responsibility for myself myself and i didn't realize that i was actually really needed to get some expert help and i needed to offload some of this stuff and i i felt i believed i could do it all of course i believed strongly that i was superwoman (laughs) and i had because i am capable now i am clever and i am you know i'm i can do all this stuff but i didn't realize that nobody can actually do it all by themselves you've got to get support yes and i didn't have any kind of health thought awareness I didn't have any I wasn't doing any exercise I wasn't thinking about my diet I wasn't taking time out I was working so I went on a holiday where I took my laptop and I was working every morning I was in America and I was putting in funding applications and really stressing about it because it was deadlines and you know I so the holiday was actually working even harder Mm, yeah (laughs) And it literally broke me in two. So I, I came to a point where I couldn't actually get around. I couldn't walk. I went to physiotherapy uh, NHS and she said, I advise you 
to stop trying to walk, Liz, for three months. Oh. <laughs> Which is an interesting one when you're running a project and you're in, you're leading. I was mm. lecturing. I was leading projects left, right, and centre. Mm. And I would t- turn up and and I think. I'm not quite sure how I'm going to get across the room. I'm standing here leaning on a table and I need to get across to the other side of the room for some reason. Yes. And I don't know how I'm going to get there without crawling. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's how bad it was. It was really bad. I just couldn't move. So basically I had to stop, stop everything. Um, I had to, so I, I, you know, started getting help, went to, uh, acupuncturist who was brilliant she recommended yoga that was brilliant she recommended osteopathy which was kind of did something yes so and then um i was recommended psychotherapy which was fantastic and through the psychotherapy i was i was in i was shown how i could just remove myself from all this so i was still trying to manage all of that <laughs> stuff mm. Mm. um and it was with the psychotherapist that she said, you know, what would happen if you didn't have to go to Birmingham ever again? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just couldn't cope with that idea because I was so invested in it as a person. It was yes. kind of who I was. Yes, of course. So, yeah. But um, it's so really interesting, it was... though, just to reflect on what happened there. It's really interesting what happened there. Because I, I I truly believe it happens to most of us mm. in, in those kind of situations where you're so invested in something, it's part of your identity. Yes. You could never imagine doing anything else or not being involved with it. Yeah. And to think that you've got to let it go is oh. just letting go of something of yourself. It's um, really tough. Of course, it's really mm. tough. Yeah, really tough. I really struggled. I st- I really really struggled. I just couldn't believe that that had happened to me. Yes, I you know. I thought I was so on top of everything. Yeah, I really thought I had it sussed. Mm. <clears throat> and then I suddenly realised. I looked in the mirror, or I don't know what it. I didn't look in the mirror, but I I was. It became clear to me that I had not got it sussed mm. at all on on many, many levels. Mm. I just had not had any understanding of what I was going through. And I actually, uh, the psychotherapist, um, she said, um, she said, when I, de- I, I described the project I'd been running, and she said, well, look, you were actually, she said, the, the image that I'm, seeing of you is actually you walking into a war zone without any protection so you've got no armor you've got you you don't even realize you're in a war zone you're in a dangerous place yes i was actually doing some very in-depth research with some of the individuals on the project so hearing their stories and um listening to hour upon hour of all their stories of of things that had happened in their lives yes which have been very very difficult lives and these were really incredible people and we you know we did some really useful research but but i had no realization that when you're when you're working with people like that so a therapist has a support structure in place they have um somebody who they can go to to kind of say oh gosh you know i had a really 
heavy session yes. I didn't realize that I was I was actually in taking it all on yeah. I was actually she's you know I was told there's such a thing called as transfer so I was actually taking it on I was taking on all their all their stress all their stories and physically and that's totally and mentally physically and mentally yeah and that's totally understanding when we think back you at school Mm. At a very young age, you had that empathy for other children. Mm. So that, and when you said, oh, I used to go red when yes. somebody was accused of having done something. Yeah. And I always took it on as my own. Yeah. And that, yeah. that was the indicator. So, so what you did, you, you didn't only take on the mental issues, the emotional issues of of those people you also took mm -hmm. on their physical issues as well mm -hmm. yeah yeah so that was a pretty difficult time and I mean I I have to say I wouldn't change a thing I would not change a single moment no. of what what has happened I really not. because I've learned so much from that experience <clears throat> both from you know yeah doing the project I wouldn't change a thing because um I've learned so much. So you learn from your mistakes or, you know, they weren't mistakes, but you learn when things don't go right. It's a learning experience and it's actually a really rich resource. And I've, I've realized now that when things go wrong, that's when things get really interesting because that's where you start to learn and to, to shape and, and think more deeply when things are going right and easily. Um, there isn't a lot of thinking to do, really. You just get on with it. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm really interested in that thing where where you might hit a bit of a crisis. And uh, it's it's something that uh, can be quite uh, informative, um, I've found. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely, because it's in those moments where you grow as, a, as an individual, yeah. um, especially once you have the opportunity to, to reflect on it. If, yeah. you're, if you're not able to reflect on it, you just stay, you know, stressed out, I guess. Um, well, yeah, you, you live a life where things that feel unsatisfactory, things feel difficult and there's no, you know, you almost become, you give up. You, yeah. you give up on, on trying to find a better way because there is no other way because this is your life. Yeah. So... You know, if I hadn't had that kind of health crash, I would have carried on in that kind of same way where I was, you know, burning the candle at both ends. I wasn't looking after my my physical health. I wasn't exercising. I wasn't resting. I didn't know how to relax. Yeah. Although I thought I'd, I thought I did, but I didn't actually really mm. know how to relax. I didn't mm. know anything about much about meditation, although I thought I did. I'd done a little bit, you know, here and there, but I didn't really have it as a part of a daily or weekly routine. Um, so, yeah, this is where I have just turned into a chrysalis and everything is being mushed up, all mm. the all the caterpillar energy, you know, that, that moment when the caterpillar has to turn into the chrysalis. Yes. It must, you know, and everything hardens off and then everything turns into this soup and everything gets re- you know, the soup is kind of soupy for quite a while, I think, mm. inside the chrysalis before it starts to reform. So I was in that kind of dark place 
trying to work out which way is up yeah. or which way is anything and who I was. My whole identity had been ripped out away from me. I, I felt I, I, and I, I became really quite depressed. I, um, uh, yeah, and I couldn't move. I had, and I was diagnosed with arthritis in my really bad arthritis in my left hip. So then I had to, um, basically to, to fast forward a little bit, I, um, I got a hip replacement. Mm -hmm. So that happened in 2017. So two, two years ago now. Right. And, um, the same year as my CD was released. So I was still pretty much, you know, going through the internal chrysalis soup yeah. <laughs> stage. Yeah. But I was able to compose through that time. So I wasn't really able to function in any, any other way, um, but I was able to compose. And in fact, I kind of hit on a really big piece, which was recorded for the CD. Um, and that's actually start, the starting point for, for my new project now, which I'm really excited about. Yes. Um, so I wrote this big piece, um, which had... <laughs> I was actually commissioned to write it in 2010. Right. <laughs> and in 20, so that's quite a long time ago. We, we, I finished it in 2016 yeah. and I had become ill in 2014. Mm. So I had to stop everything in 2014. So it's 20, it was two years of, of uh, kind of kicking around at home, being pretty much housebound um and waiting for my hip replacement and but yeah composing this piece which I called sea change so I love that Shakespeare poem um which is in Midsummer Night's Dream is it Midsummer Night's no it's in the Tempest sorry okay in the Tempest um the the there's a little poem called sea change where it talks about a uh, full fathom five full fathom five your father lies um, and it's about a drowned father whose eyes have been turned into pearls and his his whole body has been transformed into a beautiful coral and pearl and uh, kind of encrusted with amazing creatures. And that really resonated with me of a kind of almost like a death of the old person yeah. and this kind of transformation of the body into something different mm. and new and this kind of sea change where the sea has has taken its time to transform you and the creatures that live there and it's, it's all very phantasmagorical and magical mm. and uh yeah so i call my piece sea change and it's based around breathing um breathing just breathing in and breathing out and then kind of fantasies and nightmares and trying to find that center so the breathing i was i was really struggling with the mindfulness of breathing because i felt that would help me yeah and i what i noticed was um that the first few breaths so so my aim was to do 29 breaths um, my yoga teacher talked about you know do 29 breaths just count 29 slow in and slow out and just count just don't do anything else just that's it and I could do about four or five great but as you know as soon as I got in past that I my mind would be flipping all over the place 
And so I used that as a structure for my piece, which I really struggled to, to write this piece. Mm. And suddenly the breathing helped me find it. So, so yeah, um, that's, that's how that happened. And then this has turned into uh, a new thing, a new project, a new opportunities. So I reckon I'm now... Um, Either I think I've just emerged as the the adult butterfly out of this chrysalis because things have really started to change. So I've I've definitely got all the kind of stuff that I need now. I've got the really fancy antennae, <laughs> and I've got the beautiful wings, and I've got oh. the the kind of funk, funky the funky body and the you know I can I know I'm going to be able to fly mm. pretty soon now but I think I'm still kind of pumping up the wings right right I don't know right. if you've seen it but I I watched a a dragonfly emerge from the chrysalis and it it kind of pumps air through into the wings and yes. it takes quite a time for that to actually come through and then the wings have to dry in the sunshine so I feel like I kind of I'm kind of drying my wings mm. kind of waiting to really take off with this new idea. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's such a great story. So so tell us, what's the project then? Because um, you've alluded to it a couple of times. Mm. What What I think, by the way, I just, you, you mentioned it was from 2010 to 2016. Um you were you were given the the work to do the composition in 2010 and it, and you finished yeah. it in 2016 yeah and then earlier on you you said something about 6 years as well you yes yeah yeah so there's like a yeah. <laughs> there's like yeah a you're pattern. right you're very good you're very good michael you're really good at spotting these things so yeah the my phd piece i wrote a massive piece called sky burial yeah um which is all about death and it, it took me six years to write that. Yeah. So I reckon six years is about my kind of span and uh, for, for, for a big piece. Mm. Um, I mean, I wrote I've, in the last three days, I've written three pieces. Yeah. OK, they're pretty much complete. Wow. <laughs> wow. You know, so I can write things quickly. But um, if I've got a big idea, I do. Mm. I do really go deep into it. Yes. So. um and that's really interesting because that contradicts our our flitting around stuff. Yes. So when you go deep into it, that's really amazing. But you know, mm. there is something very significant about the numbers three, six, and nine, and mm. they're kind of re they're my favourite numbers, um, ah. and <laughs> they're everywhere in my life. The th <laughs> three, sixes, nines, uh, my birthday. Um, there's lots of sixes and nines in that, so there there is something significant about those numbers in mm. in terms of. Uh, I, I don't know, but there has been research on the number nine, even mathematically. Um, it's also a G for gratitude, um, mm. so it, there is a lot of significance around that. And of course, mm. the six is an opposite nine, and um, yes. And I, reading through some of your biography, um, th there are things in there. I saw a three <laughs> in there somewhere. Quartet number three. Yeah, um, that was a big one. 
Yeah, so <laughs> fascinating. I'm sorry, I'm just picking up on that, but yeah, um, it's really interesting. So, so okay, so the project. Tell us. Okay, so uh, let's see. Last year, I got an opportunity to join a a new scheme of supporting. Um, I was going to say new artists, and this is crazy because I've been doing this for 20 years now, mm. okay? Mm. Mm. <laughs> so having been doing this for 20 years, I applied for a new a new artist scheme, which I have to say was tricky <laughs> 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 because I you know, I thought, oh, I'm such a fraud. Uh, anyway, I got on the scheme, and it's been the best, most amazing opportunity. The scheme is called New Voices, and it's uh, supported by Sound and Music, which is a charity for new music in the UK. They're a fantastic organisation. And they've been giving me 18 months of support and money, um, expertise, access to all sorts of different um, people uh, and advice to really kind of realised my dream. So I kind of set out what my dream would be. And I've always wanted to work in dance um, and with dancers. And I've always felt my music is very dance orientated. Yes. And I just never really had much opportunity to to work in that field. So I said, okay, I want to work with dancers. So that's kind of where it started. <laughs> so I'm now working with dancers and I've got the most fabulous choreographer who's just stunning. He, um, his name is Dane Hurst and he uh, is originally from South Africa. He's, he's uh, now uh, living in Britain and he uh, is just the most remarkable dancer and choreographer um, and his background is very difficult. He uh, grew up in quite um, a violent area of um, one of the townships in South Africa. Right. So, and then he was kind of plucked out. He was just he was um, kind of talent spotted by Ron Bear um, when he was a teenager. So he got plucked out of this um, kind of, as I say, difficult upbringing. Uh, and dropped into the Rombert Dance Company, in, you know, which is such a completely crazy world. Mm. So he's very passionate about empowering others. Right. And he has a massive, he's got a, an amazing project that he is director of called the Moving Assembly Project. Right. Where he takes dance opportunities out to the poorest of the poor kids in South Africa and in Brazil. Mm -hmm. He's been working in Port Elizabeth in South Africa and Recife in Brazil to get people dancing, get the kids dancing instead of doing drugs or shooting each other. Yes. And you know, so that's where he's coming from. And uh, so we've started working on a piece that is inspired by um, poetry uh, that kind of describes a, a kind of breakdown and, a, and a, uh, somebody who's very isolated and feels like they aren't, they, they, they're searching for their own voice. And yes. this is the kind of starting point for this, um, for the whole project. And um, it's called scintilla. And a scintilla is a word I came across from Jung, Actually, I was reading the the potted his, you know, not the proper Jung, but I was reading the, <laughs> the introduction to Jung. <laughs> yes, yes. But with some wonderful insights there. And scintilla is a word he uses to describe a soul spark. Wow. And I love the idea of a soul spark, which is something that's hard to 
capture and it's quite fleeting possibly but it's something that really connects with the real the real true kind of core of somebody's soul so i've called the project scintilla because that's what i'm interested in doing actually really connecting with the core of what it is to be human mm -hmm. what it is to be alive and I'm, my focus for the project is to to look at isolation and how how we can express isolation, how we can show isolation through dance and music right. uh, and through poetry and actually to kind of go there, to go into that isolated space. And that's where we're starting from. But my, um, we're, and we're starting with kind of high art, you know, it's contemporary music, it's live electronics, it's very kind of, you know, um, the kind of thing that a lot of people will probably think, oh gosh, you know, that's going to be too heavy for me. Mm, <laughs> like, mm. Whoa, uh, give me something that is, is a bit more kind of uh, easygoing. But uh, that's kind of where we're starting from. Right. And we're creating a really high art um, product, like a, a show mm -hmm. that you can go and see. And it's it's dark and it's difficult and it's, you know, it's it, it engages with stuff. And is this going to? Sorry, carry on. No, you you ask your question. Yeah, is it? Um, so is it going? So several loads of questions come up. <laughs> Have you composed the music for it already? Yeah. So the sea change music. Um, I I actually have taken that into this new form. Right. So I've, I've transformed that music. So um, there are melodies and harmonies and kind of ideas from that music that I wanted to re to to carry on because they were such big, they were big ideas for me. Yes. So I've taken that and put it into a different context. So I've got a clarinetist who who. Um, is a live musician on stage with the dancer, and then I've also got a live electronics with a with a design by a digital artist James Dooley, who's amazing. Um, where he kind of amplifies the whole thing, so it becomes really surround sound and really kind of incredible mm -hmm. experience, uh, like immersive experience of sound. And then um, the I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember what the question was now. Well, it was you'd already composed the music, basically. Oh, yeah. So the music yes. exists. So, so the music exists. So we've we've actually done a couple of performances. One, uh, the most recent, with with Dane dancing, mm -hmm. and so we've we've uh, performed that in front of a, a small audience, and oh. we're we're developing that, and we have it on video. We have it filmed, so that will be being released soon. Right. I'm working with a filmmaker also. I'm working, uh, the filmmaker to document the whole of this creative process because it's. I don't know where we're going to end up really. Yes. Where I hope we will end up is um, with an amazing show that you could come to. Where I'm building in. So what I've been writing recently is is actual folk tunes. Uh, I went to a great folk night the other night um and i was really inspired by the folk music yes and i thought i i need some kind of just easy music to kind of layer into this more more complex sounding music yes uh so i've been writing folk melodies and i love doing i've done that in the past with other pieces and i just love working in that idiom 
and it's and I've got a little harp and I kind of make make up these little songs that I sing to myself with my little harp and <laughs> it's just an absolute joy. Um, so yeah, so I'm building, uh, creating new material that will will layer into yes. into it as well. But my other dream is that I actually work with people who are isolated themselves for right. whatever reason. Yeah, just people who feel feel isolated. And to actually work with them to create their own um, creative input into yeah. our piece. So kind of sharing authorship with them, giving giving other people agency, uh, because I know how it feels to not have your voice listened to, not mm. to not have it. And I know how it feels to have it. <laughs> and I really strongly believe that everybody, if you're a human being, you've got music at your core and you can you can create it you can make it and you don't have to be able to do it yourself you can tell somebody else what to do and that's what i do as a composer i don't perform myself mm. i i never do mm. um i'm not a performer really mm. um i get other people to to do my ideas <laughs> and they're brilliant at it <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so as a composer, you, you have the whole world there. You can perform if you want to, but yeah. you don't have to. So you've got everything. All the resources are, are available. So that's my dream. And I actually want it to, to really change the way uh, people live their lives, you know, yeah. so that it becomes normal for everyone to just make stuff up and to make mm. up tunes and to share them with each other mm. and to just kind of have fun and to dance about and to use your energy and to share emotions and all the things that we, we kind of knock down in the workplace where yes. you're not supposed to do that kind of stuff. No. And I'd love there to be, as well as a lunch hour, I'd love there to be like um, I don't know what we would call it. We'd have to think of a great name. Maybe somebody can suggest one, kind of comments on the on the podcast. Yes. But we need a great name for like instead of a, a tea break, yeah. We have a an art break or a create break. Yeah. Where you or a share break where you just do stuff together. You dance or you mm. you know, somebody brings in their favorite track or mm. somebody shares a poem or I don't know. It sounds a bit kind of fluffy at the moment but i think it could be really powerful if it was well organized totally so that's my I, I that's think, my dream oh it's a wonderful dream to have and it's it's a dream that i think could become reality for sure there's a there is a um indian yogi called sadguru in india mm -hmm. and he runs a school for kids and the top subjects in the school apart from english and maths i think is all the creative arts so it's music drawing painting acting art you know creativity mm. uh plays that's what he focuses he focuses on all the creative arts for these kids meditation and yoga and they've got he said he he couldn't believe when he walked into a class of 5 year olds and they're all sitting there meditating Mm. Um, you know, there, there is such a need for humans to release that creativity that we've all got, but we don't think we do. But we had it when we were kids and it's just been beaten yeah. out of us. It know? has. And this is how this, the education system. So I'd love to 
totally re re organize how education mm. works mm. it's got worse and worse and worse at the moment it's, it's everyone's sick and the teachers are sick the kids are sick yeah, yeah. <laughs> the parents are sick everybody's yes. just like going crazy yes because it's just so it's a toxic environment they're all the wrong parameters are being valued and none of the right ones and you know people in the workplace you want somebody who can innovate somebody who can um, work in a team who can be empathetic to others and to you know you know music does all of that stuff you know mm. if you work in groups um it's it's one of the best ways of, of covering every skill that you're yes. going to need in business yeah so yeah that that's um uh, it's absolute no-brainer mm. and it's not rocket science either and it's cheap mm. you know it's not expensive mm. um you don't need special equipment um to to do something really really creative mm. um compared to other stuff you know um mm. you don't need anything you just need people that's all you need yeah yeah and um the 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 show that you're working on is that going to be a traveling show or is it just going to be a, a one-off kind of performance in somewhere in Birmingham or somewhere else? Well, at the moment I'm still fundraising. Yes. So I'm, what I want to do is to create a live show, which we would be able to tour. Yes. Um, and then also uh, to have live workshops so that people can come and just take part and just be part of it. Yes. And then I also want to develop um, a, a, a digital version or rather two digital versions. So I want to create a VR a virtual reality version. Yes. And I want and I want to create an app mm. as well so that people can access this project from whatever they feel most comfortable with. Oh, so some okay. people would would feel more comfortable with on their own with an app. Or yeah. or maybe if they were um, in hospital, they might be able to access a VR unit, yeah. um, uh, working with people in, in um, recovery or people who um, have their own kind of technology at home but mm -hmm. don't, can't get out, mm -hmm. you know, so that they can actually access a, a community of creative, mm. you know, a, a living, breathing, mm. changing, morphing multi multi everything yeah. <laughs> project yeah. Yeah. that's that's my ultimate dream for scintilla that that it could become like this huge uh network mm. where people can be um interacting with it at any time in any place and that it could be in schools it could be in libraries it could be in hospitals it could be in recovery centers it could homeless, be in, homeless centers yeah for for homeless centers mm. it could be um uh, with the teams of people able to kind of facilitate live workshops uh going out to the people who may be housebound mm -hmm. or you know uh, so that you've got a big uh, infrastructure there okay and so yeah, so that's my other kind of aim. So I reckon I need big money to make this work. Well, and I'm actually just putting it out there. <laughs> absolutely. Well, this is the place to do it, isn't it? So it is. It is. If you had, if you could say to maybe you, we just don't know who might be listening, who's got mm. deep pockets or who knows oh, yeah. somebody who has deep pockets. Yeah. What Do you know yet what you're looking for or is it still a work in progress in terms of the amount of money? Yeah. Well, I reckon to get the kind of prototypes 
made up and and to build the infrastructure of the project to kind of be able to kind of hit the road running and say to people right we're ready mm. i think we probably need at least a year uh to to get everything in place yes. maybe maybe more yeah um uh and i'm just starting those conversations with the app designers and the vr literally i've had the first conversation with a vr uh designer who's amazing and she's going to be incredible to work with yes but i reckon I'm aiming for about three million to just get it up and running. Right. Um, and since January, I have managed to raise about thirty-seven thousand. Yes, brilliant. Um, in terms of uh, cash, so but but as an artist, I can only access funds. That, that, as an individual artist, I don't run. It's not a company. I'm just running it as a as a sole trader, yes, yes, <laughs> um, or an unincorporated group. Maybe mm. we haven't even formed an unincorporated group, mm. um, but um, you know, there I need uh, business m- management advice, which I'm mm. getting through Steam House, mm-hmm. which is where we, we you and I met. Yeah, um, I'm I'm now just starting today. I'm having a first conversation with my new PR agent, so I've got a PR agent yeah. through funding. Um, which is from, uh, I've got funding from Arts Council England, I've got funding from PRSF, I've got funding from Help Musicians UK, Fusion Fund, uh, and from Steam House and from uh, New Voices. But it's all like small, like 2,000 here, 5,000 there. The biggest I've been able to apply for is 10,000. I'm currently putting in one for maybe 75,000 to the Arts Council. Um, But, you know, I really need millions. I, I, I need top people. Who, who, we need somebody who, like, um, you know who's a real great supporter? Uh, he's been a great supporter of the kind of homeless charity, yeah. Crisis in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, he's quite a good voice for for us. Uh, somebody like Ed Sheeran. You know? Oh, yeah. We need somebody like Ed Sheeran on board. Yes, yeah. Um, perfect. You know, that amount... Ed. Ed, Come on, if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> yeah, um, anybody who knows Ed, <laughs> please yeah, give him a call. Him just let yeah. him know. We need yeah. somebody like that who kind of gets yeah. it, who gets the project and understands it. And also it. somebody like that who who people trust. Yes. Because people don't trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they do when they meet me. Yes. But, you know, in terms of my work, it's a bit of an unknown it's a bit, you know, potentially like, what is it going to be? Uh, because I'm kind of working at the other end of the spectrum in mm. terms of I'm really pushing it in mm. terms of the material that I write. Mm. I, you know, I can write really nice, beautiful tunes and I do, mm. but I'm interested in really pushing uh, to the extremes as well. So, but somebody like Ed Sheeran, who who is writing people that music that people just love, and yeah. they get it and it really connect they really connect with it yes and to have that kind of um comfort zone so that you can kind of go into that comfort zone and then you can come away from it and then you can go back into it again yes but kind of that kind of moving in and out it allows you to explore the difficult so i'm interested in the difficult conversations and and music allows you to explore 
um, and dance mm. and poetry. They mm. they allow and and visual art. They allow you to explore those difficult areas of life where sometimes the, the verbal stuff it's too difficult to talk about. I agree. And, I agree. You know that 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 sometimes you just can't speak it. You can't say it. Um, I still struggle with saying particular things, you know, mm, but I mm. can write it, I can compose it, I can, I can put that all that pain, all that grief, all that loss, all that, all that sorrow. Yeah, I can put that in. Yeah, and then in a way that people can connect mm. with it, and mm. and 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 it's cathartic yeah. for for both the listener and the composer and the musician and everybody gets a release from it or you know maybe can start a conversation having ha- heard something or yeah so on yeah fantastic liz sounds absolutely brilliant and I'd, I'd love to keep track of how it's progressing and when and it's not going to take six years i know that <laughs> it's going to be quicker and well, I, I started thinking about this about four years ago. Okay, so, so we'll be then. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably, it will end up then being, but I'm, I'm saying from this point forward anyway. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I think we're, we're, we're well on the way now. And it's just, like you say, we need to go. Can you help us, guys? Yes. We need, we need help. If you um, might be supporting kind. Mm. You know, if you've got expertise or if you've got a passion mm. to to get involved, just to get in touch. Yeah. My my website is there. Liz Johnson, just look up Liz Johnson Composer. You'll find me. Um, and yeah, let's work together. My God, yeah, let's make and it happen. Are there any other links you'd like to share where people can find you or hear your music, your compositions? Uh, my album is on Spotify. Right. Um, it's called Intricate Web. Right. Intricate web. And that's there's a whole stack load of music there. I, I would challenge anyone to not like every track. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think there must be one track on there that any that everybody might like. Yes. Possibly. Yes. That might be a bit of a big claim. But yeah, there's um there's all sorts of stuff on there. Brilliant. And yeah, there's I've got a blog uh, on WordPress. So Liz Johnson, composer, will we'll let you find that. And um, yeah, um, it's all out there. Okay. But if the best way to support me, if you're interested, is to to actually, you know, buy the album. Don't go through Apple. Buy it from Di- Divine Art because otherwise, I don't get any money, and neither do they. Yeah. So Apple and all the kind of big What's the other one? Amazon. Don't yes. use that. No. Go to the go to the label. Go to Divine Art. Okay. You can download it from there, and then I get paid a little bit, and then they get paid a little bit for all their investment. Okay. Uh, which would be very nice. <laughs> Thank you for folks for doing that. Yeah, and that's a good suggestion because if people want to support the artist uh, properly, mm. then that's the yeah. way to do it. That is the way, because honestly, I got my latest, uh, so the latest royalties check, um, which you get through Spotify and radio broadcasts and things. So yeah, eighty quid for the quarter. Mm. 
that's not great, is it? No. You know, I've been working hard and yeah. stuff's been happening. I'll get 80 quid for it. Uh, and then my, yeah, CD revenue, it was, it was, it was less than that. So, yeah. um, you know, it's not exactly, um, making me a bundle of money. No, <laughs> no. But, you know, that's not what it's all about for me. It's about getting it out there and, you know, um, Okay, making Liz. a cha- making a difference yeah, making absolutely. a difference in the world Liz thank you so much for your time today it's been a fascinating story that you've been sharing with us in your journey to where you are today and I really look forward to hearing more or witnessing how it all progresses and when it when it um is all done I'll make sure that I will put the links to whatever is happening back on the podcast even though it might be months or a few years in the future when it all gets released. So thank you. And I know we will meet again uh, in person because we're in the same county and uh, we frequent the same venues. So we, I can definitely keep track of where you're up to. <laughs> Fantastic. And it's been an absolute joy and a privilege to, to be on the podcast with you, Michael. Thank you for that and for the opportunity to share all this with with everybody and uh yeah let's just see where it takes us yeah my absolute pleasure and see you soon take care thanks bye for now bye staying alive uk share your story